So I'm going to be reading tonight from 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 8. Uh, and this says, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you. Nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more, so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren give birth to seven. But she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he set the world on them. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we want to settle our hearts before you and praise you for who you are and what you do, just as Hannah prays this prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2, that, Lord God, we would recognize who you are and the goodness of who you are and the strength of who you are and the authority that you have to do all things uh, as you are pleased to do so. And, Lord God, recognizing how you operate in this world. And so, God, I pray that we would just come tonight looking to study and see and learn how you do operate in this world with fallen people that we are. God, that we would be able to navigate these waters of the culture that puts an overemphasis on feelings and past experience and put them rightly under the submission of our Lord. So God, would you teach us tonight from your word as we continue this study through Ruth uh, that God, we would see how to respond to our circumstances in a way that would be glorifying to you as we exemplify faith that you enable for us to exemplify. God, would you be glorified through what is learned here tonight and lived out outside this time? And may it start now, Lord, as we worship you in spirit and in truth. Would you be with us? Would you bless us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1 as we conclude chapter 1 tonight. Ruth chapter 1. So far, we've seen that a man named Elimelech left uh, his hometown of Bethlehem the promised land, in the promised land uh, to go seek bread outside the house of bread, uh, and he took his family with him to try and provide for them. Unfortunately, what he found was his own death and the death of his two sons, leaving behind his wife, Naomi, and two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. And Naomi made the decision that she was going to go back to Bethlehem. Uh, she had heard that there was the Lord had been gracious to allow for crops to grow again uh, when they left because of a famine. And so she decides she's going to return home. Uh, but somewhere in that journey, she looked to her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, and she said, I think y'all would do better off in Moab seeking your own families and your own gods. And Orpah left, but Ruth remained. And so we saw Ruth make this 
beautiful commitment that clings to Naomi and to Naomi's God as she follows Naomi back to Bethlehem in pursuit of the loving kindness of God. Now Naomi has returned to her hometown in pursuit of that loving kindness. Meanwhile, Ruth has committed herself to Naomi and Naomi's God. So what happens when they both enter this little town of Bethlehem? Well, let's look together. Ruth chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. Ruth chapter 1, verses 19 through 22 say this. So the two of them, that is Naomi and Ruth, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord, Yahweh, has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let's pray real quick. Um, gracious Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would teach us tonight from this passage in Ruth of what it looks like to submit our feelings to your Lordship, that we would handle them rightly in response to our circumstances as, as well as our past. That God, we would not let our feelings uh, identify us as a person. Um, God, would you just teach us tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What's the big buzz in Bethlehem? Naomi's back in town, but she is bitter. <laughs> she is bitter and as excited as the people are to welcome her back, she is not excited to be received because she is very bitter. But something she doesn't quite realize is that she is also incredibly blessed. And so one thing we can right away glean from this passage is just in seeing Naomi's example, that Naomi's bitterness has blinded her from God's blessing. Naomi's bitterness has blinded her from God's blessing. But doesn't the same thing happen to us? We don't fully understand our situation. We lose sight of reality. We assume the worst. And meanwhile, God is just smiling in the background, ready to bless planning to bless, delighted to bless. And so in true beatitude fashion, we're going to see just how blessed the bitter can be. Blessed are the bitter. That's tonight's sermon title. Blessed are the bitter. Blessed are the bitter because they will be renewed. That's our first point tonight. 
Blessed are the bitter because they will be renewed. Naomi is going through a bit of an identity crisis, isn't she? Let's look again in verses 19 through 20. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Naomi's name means lovely or pleasant. And here she wants to be called Mara, which we see means bitter. And that word Mara has a history within the people of God. In fact, it's recorded in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 15, verses 20 through, 20 through 24, which says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water when they came to Merah. They could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter, thus the name Merah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he, Moses, cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. So there we see, even in the midst of a grumbling people, the Lord is good to bless. And not just bless there, but in verse 27, it goes on to say that the Lord blessed them beyond that. They then came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. There they have a little oasis in the wilderness by God's providence. I don't know if Naomi knew the history of her people. Perhaps she didn't. Uh, that would explain why she left with Elimelech in the first place. Or when Elimelech died, why she didn't come back right away. But the exodus, the, the ten plagues, the Passover, the parting of the Red Sea, that was the saving act of God to the old covenant people of God. That was the cross of the Old Testament. And so the complaining of God's people at the waters of Merah was like the disciple Peter going back to fishing after the crucifixion. Whether she never learned her history, failed to remember it, chose to forget it, we see how ironic her name change to Mara really is. Because the Lord blessed his bitter people at a spring called Mara. And he's going to bless a woman who wants to be called bitter. Naomi desires a name change because of all that she has been through and how that has made her feel. She shows us something quite striking about our own tendencies in today's world and the cultural air that we breathe. To find one's identity in one's feelings rooted in past experience. 
She says, do not call me Naomi. Do not call me pleasant. Do not call me lovely. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Naomi had followed her husband Elimelech out of the promised land into the country of Moab. She led her two sons to go with her. Those three men died, leaving Naomi to live and grieve alongside her two daughters-in-law. I cannot imagine that pain, that suffering, that grief, that distress that surrounds her in the midst of death and difficulties that she had to endure. I, I can't imagine that. I haven't been through that. It is terrible that she and anybody else would have to live through that. But what is even worse is that she would let it identify her. Many of you are hurt, broken over something in your past. Maybe it is the loss, the death of a loved one. Maybe it is the bruise or betrayal of someone close. I don't know. I cannot begin to imagine with all of you in a room this size what all has been endured by you. But I would guess to say it's a lot. If we were to display the tragedies of your life on these screens, I doubt there would be a dry eye in the house. But what pains me more than anything I could ever learn about what you've endured in your past is that you have so carried it with you into the present that you now let it identify you. That hurts. That hurts to know that some of you are dealing with that. And so if I can commend anything to you as a pastor, it would be this. Forget what lies behind and find your identity in Jesus Christ and who he says you are. We looked this past weekend in Life Group about what Paul says in Philippians. I forget what lies behind. I'm straining towards the prize of the upward call to God in Christ Jesus. And I know some of us are still dealing with this baggage from our past, and I want, I want to help you be free of that. That you wouldn't let your feelings about those past experiences be carried into your Christian walk today. Because that's not what Christ has laid down his life for you to walk in. We sing about freedom. I want you to experience that freedom from more than just singing about it, but actually living it. What I'm telling you is that your identity has to be found in Jesus Christ and in who he says you are. And if you have believed savingly upon the, the work of Jesus Christ, he says you are forgiven. And you are free. You are victorious by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And in that, relationally, you are a child of God. That, that is worth living in. Forget what lies behind. And put your identity in Jesus Christ and who he says you are. When we become familiar with who God says we are, we will experience personal renewal. This runs countercultural to what the world says. The world would call Naomi Mara as quickly as someone can post their pronouns on a Twitter bio. Our instincts tell us to build our identity in what we feel because we're suspicious of any external authority telling us who we are and how we should live. And so we settle for feelings because they originate inside of us. We think it's the only thing we can trust, but it's not. That's wrong. Feelings are fickle. Now you heard me say last week, and I'm going to stand by those words, that feelings can inspire a commitment that clings. When we look at Ruth and how she clings to Naomi, that, that is a pent-up emotion of feelings. That she has care and love towards Naomi. That's a good thing. It can inspire commitments, but it can't sustain them. Which is why you have people who fall in love, get engaged, get married, and then three years down the road, get divorced. It's because they were relying on their feelings to carry it through. Instead of the commitment they said when they said in their I do's. Feelings can inspire a commitment that clings. But it can't sustain the commitment. Nor can feelings sustain your identity. They will fail you every time. Because they were never designed to carry the weight of something as substantial as your identity, your personhood. The only thing that can carry that weight is who God says you are. That's it. Just like Naomi was more than her bitterness, you are more than your emotions. You are more than your affections. You are more than your attractions. You are more than your feelings. You are who God says you are. And the moment you lean into that truth, you will experience personal spiritual renewal. And this is why it is so important to know God and to know him rightly, which leads us to our next point. Blessed are the bitter because they will be restored. Blessed are the bitter because they will be restored. Say what you will about Naomi. At least she's honest. <laughs> she's real and she is raw and she is not holding back. She says, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? 
Naomi has much to say about God. And if we look at her statements from just a human standpoint, we may even be inclined to say she's 100% accurate. But from God's perspective, he knows that she is lacking some truth here. That she doesn't see the full picture. And she lacks truth because her relationship with the Lord is in shambles. And it isn't the Lord's fault. He didn't leave her. She left him. She followed Elimelech to Moab. And when Elimelech died and she became the leader of her household, she decided not to go back until the very last moment she could. She makes four accusations against God. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Okay, what else? I went away full and Yahweh brought me back empty. Uh Uh-huh, anything else? Yahweh has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Naomi is saying a lot of things. She's making some sharp accusations that are far from reality. We often do the same thing, but our words never leave our lips. They just stay in our minds. Say what you will about Naomi. At least she recognizes there is a God. We've seen and we've experienced horrors and tragedies in this world that have left us asking the question, is there a God in the universe who has all this madness under control? We will simultaneously question if God exists and blame him for when things don't go our way. And that is incoherent. It's for the same reason as Naomi. Our relationship with God is in shambles. Our marriage to him is on the fritz because we don't communicate the way we used to. We left our first love. We all have seasons of skepticism. I'm not saying you won't experience doubts. In fact, I think you will. Um, There are doubts we entertain about God's goodness, about God's power, about God's wisdom, any given moment in our Christian walk. In those seasons, we may be tempted to blame God for something, forgetting that He's not culpable, He doesn't owe us an explanation. While he is indeed sovereign, he doesn't owe man an answer for anything that he allows to come to pass. A good rule of thumb to keep us in check is that God gets none of the blame and all of the glory. God gets none of the blame and all of the glory. Doubt your doubts and live this out. God gets none of the blame. He gets all of the glory. Doubt your doubts and live this out. I know some of you may be inclined to say, well, that's, that's not fair. How does that work? And I'll tell you, it requires faith over your feelings. To trust him when things don't go your way that he will see you through it 
in ways that you just can't comprehend. With time, Naomi will come to realize the truth that her accusations are not reality. The Almighty has dealt very patiently with Naomi. She went away full because of God. And he brought her back because she was empty. Yahweh testified against her because he is holy and he testifies against all people. The Almighty brings calamity upon those who warrant judgment and her actions warrant judgment. Naomi's accusations reveal the disposition of her heart against God. She may have returned to Bethlehem, but she is having a hard time turning her heart towards God. She wants the bread without the mighty baker, but she will find restoration with the Lord as he provides for her. He will repair their broken relationship that she broke away from, and he will do so with his loving kindness. So we see our third point. Blessed are the bitter because they will be refreshed. Blessed are the bitter because they will be refreshed. The author of the book of Ruth tells us that Naomi and Ruth arrived right at the beginning of barley harvest. And he does so to kind of cue up suspense for the reader for what's about to take place. Ruth and Naomi are about to get barley bread out their ears. <laughs> it's like you uh, going to Gibson's Donuts. Maybe you go for a late night Gibson's run and you get there and you're like, oh, I forgot my wallet. Well, instead of driving back to the house, I'm, I'm just going to check. You go in, you say, hey, do y'all have any donuts they are just about to throw out? You know, maybe you've just had them too long. I'd love to just have a donut. And they just say, well, yeah, but we have some fresh donuts if you want those. In fact, let me, let me do one better. Why don't I give you a special donut? Why don't I give you my, our maple bacon donut? Would you like some chocolate milk with that? I tell you what, why don't I give you keys to Gibson's Donuts? You can just drop by anytime you want. You can have as many donuts as you want. I tell you what, no, let's get married and you can inherit Gibson's donuts and have them as long as you want and your family can eat them. That's what's about to happen in the story of Ruth. And Naomi's gonna benefit from it. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Barley was a bread widely used for the poorest of God's people. They grew it and ate it while they were enslaved in Egypt. And yet it was so common that that's what they used to feed their horses. Barley was a crop that was typically ready to be harvested just in time for the Passover meal. And get this, when Jesus multiplied fish and loaves to feed 5,000 people, he did so with loaves of barley bread. Just a couple neat things about barley bread. God made a plan to feed and refresh Naomi, but she had no idea it was coming. But she should have. She should have. The truth is, God's hidden blessing was standing right next to Naomi throughout this entire passage. Her name's Ruth. 
while Naomi was going on and on about how bitter she was and how bad the Lord had mistreated her. She couldn't see past herself long enough to see how the Lord had already blessed her through her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And so we see blessed are the bitter because they will be redeemed. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. One of the most important themes of the book of Ruth is the theme of redemption. It is the story of how Ruth is redeemed, and in that, so is Naomi, because of Ruth's relation to her and commitment to her. But if you look at this passage, in light of all that is about to take place through Ruth, we'd have to agree that Ruth is overlooked here. Ruth is present for this entire dialogue between Naomi and the women of Bethlehem. Yet she goes unnoticed by either party. They don't address her. She is nothing to the town of Bethlehem. And we have to say that it seems like she is less than nothing to her mother-in-law at this point in our story. Naomi says, I went away full, and the Lord brought me back empty. Ouch. Is that what Ruth is to Naomi? She went away full because she had flourishing family relationships, a husband, two sons, with the, the promise that they would take wives and have grandchildren. And now on the way back, here she finds she has a barren daughter-in-law. Poor Ruth. That's what bitterness will do to us if we don't resolve it. It hurts others. And it hurts us. And it hurts our relationship with God. We find ourselves bitter and we don't recognize how truly blessed we actually are. Which brings us to our main point for the night. Process your feelings in such a way that they match your blessed reality. Process your feelings in such a way that they match your blessed reality. Naomi's feelings do not match her present reality. They may match her past experience. That there is a season for grief. And even you heard me say last night, we shouldn't correct the theology of those who are grieving, but let it come to pass and prove right theology by being present. Well, here, the mourning season has passed. And so her feelings do not match her present reality. If we saw last week how Ruth submitted her feelings to the lordship of Yahweh, this week we see how Naomi submits her God to her feelings. Or if I could put it another way, how she submits Yahweh to her God, her feelings. As she... <clears throat> 
and she entered the town of Bethlehem, she could have seen it as an opportunity for renewal. She could have softened her heart towards God in a true heartfelt repentance that led to restoration. She could appreciate the refreshing nature of being at home with food to eat again. She could have expected that the Lord would bring about redemption in faith. But she didn't do any of that. And here's the good news of the gospel. That the Lord would still be gracious to her in spite of her bitterness. That it is my honor to to tell you about the grace of God. That he gives us grace upon grace upon grace and we never deserve it. Not at the beginning, not at the middle, not at the end. He lavishes grace upon grace upon grace, even when we can't get our act together. It's the good news of the gospel. He makes it his business to draw us out of ourselves in the way that he blesses. That's who we worship a good God who loves us enough to draw us out of ourselves, to take the identity that we have built upon our feelings and bring it to nothing so he can show us the better identity that we have in his son, Jesus Christ, and upon his saving work on the cross and through the grave. Glory to God. How about you? Are, are you in a season of bitterness? Or is it a different emotion that just has its grip on you and won't let go? Does that emotion match your reality? Have you been blinded from how blessed you truly are? I want to encourage you that Jesus shows us the path forward. I love Jesus. Jesus, amen. Jesus had feelings. He felt just like we do. He is the God-man Jesus Christ. And he had feelings. And the Bible tells us about when Jesus had feelings. And they always matched reality. Because who is more in touch with reality than the one who holds it in his, in his hands? Jesus' feelings matched reality perfectly. And I want to give you three examples of how that's true. The first, Jesus wept. You've heard that before. Shortest verse in the Bible. If you're going to memorize scripture, you should probably start there. Jesus wept. Jesus approaches the home of Lazarus only to have Mary and Martha, his sisters, come and say, where were you? Lazarus is dead. If you had been here, he'd still be alive. Where were you? 
Jesus wept. Because the reality is, death is sad. And so he wept. Even though Jesus knew what was about to take place to the glory of the Father, he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But in that moment, he met reality with his tears. He mourned. He wept. Second example, Jesus slept. Jesus slept. The disciples are on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. A storm rolls in and starts shaking things to bit. And meanwhile, Jesus is cozied up in the boat uh, fast asleep. Uh, the reality for him that day was probably that ministry is tiresome. That he's tired. He's exhausted after a day of ministry. And so he's going to go to sleep. But on top of that, he is confident in the reality that God is in control. And so he can sleep while the disciples run amok. Knowing full and well that he is going to wake up and calm the storm. He is sleeping. He is fast asleep, trusting that God is in control. He was tired, so he slept. And then third example, and you'll have to be gracious with me on this one. Jesus slept. Jesus slept, which means to bear a heavy load. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he would be crucified, he tells his disciples that he is in anguish and he is distressed. And that matched his reality perfectly because he knew that his responsibility was weighty because of what he was about to do and bearing the sins of this world. He bore that heavy burden that you and I could never bear. And so he felt that to his core. He was about to die on a cross he did not deserve. And so he slept. So bringing it back to a place of our main point, process your feelings in such a way that they match your blessed reality. I want to conclude with just an illustration from my own life as you aim to apply this very truth. That earlier this week, I had my plans that were thwarted. <laughs> I had some plans that I wanted to see come about and they hit a brick wall. And in that moment, flared up the emotions of discouragement and anxiety. And so the Lord just gave me the path forward. He said, fast from lunch, spend time with me. And so I did. And as plainly as I'm communicating to you right now, I communicated to the Lord in prayer, Lord, I'm feeling discouraged. I had some plans and I thought they were good plans and they were thwarted. God, would you help me to trust you that your plans are far greater than my plans, that your timeline is better than my timeline? 
that not for a moment did I ever have control of this situation. God, would you just help me to to trust you? And, And God, would you even place somebody in my life to encourage me where I've been discouraged? Alongside that, Lord, I'm feeling anxious because I'm uncertain about what the future holds for me. Regarding these plans, I don't know what's going to come about, but Lord, again, would you help me to trust you that you're going to see this through in a way that will truly bless me and glorify you? And God, I know I'm prone to worry and try to take control of the situation. God, would you just instead direct my heart towards worship? that God, I would worship you, that that you're going to see this through to your glory and for my good. And after 15 minutes of that, you know what happened? I felt better. Praise God. God. I felt better. And I honestly think the Lord allowed for that to pass because one, his plans are better, but also for me to share with you right here as just a small tangible example of what it looks like to live this out. Not to say, I have it all together. I do not. I'm a student of the Bible just like you. So let's together focus. How can we live out this point? To process our feelings in such a way that they match our blessed reality.